Welcome to podcast number 16 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, taking over an established practice. ACP members have taken many different paths to their financial planning practices. In previous episodes, we've heard from professionals who've come from tax practice, annuity sales, insurance, medicine, and airport administration, who've all made the transition to holistic, tax-focused fiduciary financial planning. Even with all these different backgrounds, most ACP advisors have founded their own businesses or joined an existing practice as a second-generation advisor, but those aren't the only routes to this distinctive way to add value for clients. Our guest today is Irfan Barbarawala, CFP. He took a different path. Irfan joined Arbor Financial in 2014, a fee-only firm with offices in Ann Arbor, Michigan that was founded by another ACP member, and bought the practice less than two years later. Beyond providing a holistic approach with due attention to tax planning, Arbor Financial also serves the unique needs of employees of the University of Michigan. Irfan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So you've owned and managed a number of real estate investments. Tell us a bit about your journey and how that related to your beginning of financial planning life. When I think about my journey to financial planning and having that as a career, a couple of things come to mind. So I think the first one was I got a job when I was about 24 years old with a dot-com, you know, San Francisco-based tech company, and I got some stock options. And I kind of got obsessed with investing and planning and was in the airport, I'd go to the store and, you know, get a bunch of money related magazines and just try to soak all that stuff in. And, you know, I wanted to invest some of the savings. And I started talking to friends and family about, you know, saving for retirement. And, you know, when you're 24 years old and you're bugging your friends about saving money for retirement, you probably you probably have less friends than you should at the end of the day. So, I mean, so, so it was it was something in the back of my head, kind of at a relatively early age when I was you know working a totally different career. And then the second thing, which maybe had a bigger impact on me, was you know more than a decade ago when my mom was looking to retire, and I had helped my parents with their investing and their financial planning, and she was pretty stressed. She was just not sure that they had enough, and I suggested. You know, I I know there's financial planners out there. I didn't know what the industry looked like, but I suggested let's go hire one and get some help. And and they should be able to confirm that things are okay and that the plan we have in place makes sense. And they agreed. I started looking and I didn't really know what was out there, but I, I would say that it was it was somewhere between depressing and disappointing. I I I felt like, you know, we call places and talk to people and everybody had something to sell. It was an annuity, a life insurance policy, or you know, commissioned investment. And it was a little bit of a struggle. And I just kind of assumed that that's all that was out there. And we hired someone for a short amount of time. And, and he was a nice guy, very smart. He knew his stuff, but you know, he kept coming back to the table with, you know, here's a non-publicly traded REIT that 
could earn a big commission for him, or here's an insurance policy that he's trying to sell us. And I'm not saying that that was his intention, but it just felt like there was a conflict of interest. And so we started looking again, uh, figured there's got to be something else out there. And we found a company in Ann Arbor called Arbor Financial and a planner named Savas Ginnikopoulos. And then if we fast forward a decade or so, that is the company that I now um, own and run. Well, we often hear about how people's personal experiences lead them into the profession of financial planning. But I think this is the first time I've heard of that personal family experience leading you to the exact practice that you buy and then operate. And and it wasn't anything I had in mind at the time I took my parents there. I would think I was pretty happy with the work that I was doing, totally not related to financial planning. And I got to know Savas. I'd go to all the appointments and, and really probably participate in the meeting more than my parents. I was still kind of managing their relationship with Arbor Financial. And it just happened that down the road when I was looking to enter that career and I approached Savas about just picking his brain, he kind of said, well... I'm getting old. I need to get out of here. Why don't you join me? And, you know, it was, I think, probably said half jokingly, but I didn't take it as a joke. And we started talking and I joined him soon after. So uh, you'd found something when you first found Savas's firm. It must have felt a little bit like finding a unicorn in the wild or something. Here's something that you thought maybe didn't even exist. When did you begin to realize that this may be a rare form of planning, but it's not unique? Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure. I I think that I just assumed in my head that that was out there and should be readily available. And it was just a matter of, you know, which person do you choose to work with? So I, I think when we first started looking for a financial planner for my parents, I was pretty surprised at how the industry worked. And and I mean, the good news is I think things have changed uh, in the last decade or so, and there are more people operating in a more comprehensive and holistic way and who are not, you know, kind of focused on the or incentivized on the sales side of things. It brings to mind something I've heard ACP's founder, Burt Whitehead, say that he didn't even realize at first that he was doing financial planning. He thought he was a family lawyer and he was just answering his clients' questions At some point, he realizes this is a different profession, and the ACP model grew organically from that kind of origin, from that kind of idea of what do people need? And that's the way a lot of our clients think about it, I think. You know, they need certain things, and a lot of the industry is just not set up to provide it that way. When you bought the practice from Savas, who'd been in the business for more than 25 years, I imagine there might have been some things that you wanted to change to make the practice yours. Yeah, for for sure. And I think that's really kind of the fun part of it all is just being able to, as a small business owner, put your own stamp on your business. So in some ways, you know, there's a lot that changed, but in some ways, I kind of feel like also not a lot just because, you know, I found that the important thing was not the technology or kind of the specific stuff, but it's just really the philosophy and approach. So even though Savas and I might run businesses different and use different software and techniques and things like that and organize things different. The, the philosophy and approach is what kind of made it work is that, that we, we shared a lot of common ground there. So that made the whole transition easier. And certainly 
uh, you know, I, I do think things look different. They feel different, but in a lot of ways, they're the same. And a lot of the same clients that Savas had for decades, I'm still working with, which is great. It brings to mind the thought that I often have when I look around the ACP conference and see so many colleagues who practice in so many different ways, whose practices look so much different from the one that I participate in. And some are lifestyle practitioners who want to have a small lifestyle practice or a big lifestyle practice. And others have ambitions to build multi-advisor firms or they've started building them. And with so many different ways to approach the business of financial planning, the thing we all have in common, I think, is a set of values of what we believe adds value for a client. And that cuts across all these different approaches. Yeah, I I totally agree, Ken. And I think when it comes down, and I think that was probably a realization for me as I started working with Savas and started transitioning things because you know, coming from kind of a tech background, I looked at certain things he was doing and I'm like, oh my God, what are you using? What kind of tool is that? And, um, you know, I I feel like we're still trying to, at, at the end of the day, we're trying to think of things in a holistic way, in a comprehensive way. We're doing our best to put ourselves in our clients' shoes and really try to understand what their goals are, what their life is all about, and then offer them the best advice. And and there's certainly, you know, it'd be boring if we all did it exactly the same way. But I think that when you have, you know, some core philosophical things in common, then it's a lot easier to relate to each other, to help each other within the community, et cetera. And to learn from those different perspectives that we all bring to our professional lives. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and that that's the neat thing is just being open to ideas and seeing how somebody else does things and go, wow, I think maybe part of that could work for me. Let's uh, give that a thought and see if we want to implement it. So I wonder, was there a time, Irfan, where you remember sort of waking up and saying, you know, I, I want to own a financial planning firm? <laughs> so I, I'm not sure if there was a day when I woke up and said, this is exactly what I want to do. I kind of feel like a lot of my career has been opportunistic and I've I've explored different things and things have been presented to me. So when I was looking into a career in financial planning, and I feel like I've done it a couple times in my life, but you know, when it finally stuck, I was kind of seeing what was out there. And I talked to, I had a good friend in Oregon who was a financial planner, and I was thinking about joining his firm in practice, but there were definitely some philosophical things that were uh, misaligned. And so I just think that I happened to know Savas and he had a need and he was looking to make a transition. And when I looked at everything together and looked at his practice, it really was a pretty good fit. So I, I think that it was as much opportunistic as me waking up one day and going, this is exactly what I want to do. So it sounds like your becoming Savas's successor was much more Savas's idea at first than it was yours. And after a while, you came to agree that, yeah, this is a good idea. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was a little of both. I really didn't think that buying his practice was something that was in the cards. And he threw it out there right away. And once I took that home and talked it over with my wife and thought about it, it really made a lot of sense. And then you know, at that point, once that idea started to uh, cultivate in my head, I wanted it more and more. What are some of the surprises you experienced along the way? 
Yeah, there definitely are surprises when you get into, uh, you know, a venture like this. I, I would say uh, I didn't expect to be audited by the state of Michigan the first week I was running the business. Um, so that was kind of scary. You know, I'd signed a contract and, you know, handed over a down payment for the business. And then the auditors were coming in and it had been for whatever reason, many, many years since Savas was audited, uh, which didn't make me feel that good because I'm like, what is going on? So that was a frightening experience the first week or two on the job. How did that audit work out for you? It turns out that not all auditors are mean and scary. And uh, the, the person that came in was really helpful and really wonderful. And we, I learned a lot from the experience. And I kind of, in a strange way, look forward to them coming back because I always seem to have questions. And you know, I think most of us in the industry want to be compliant. We want to do the right thing. The person that I worked with was fantastic. And so it went from being terribly frightening to uh, this is probably a good thing that's happening now. And as we've done these podcast recordings and as I've talked to other ACP members over the years, it occurs to me, I've never really thought about this until now, that we don't hear a lot of audit horror stories from our ACP colleagues. It doesn't seem to be as frightening a process for us. I wonder how much of that is ACP providing a process that makes it easier to be compliant. And I wonder how much of that might be people not telling their horror stories or telling them louder someplace else. I do feel like what we do is pretty transparent and pretty straightforward. And the way we get compensated is pretty transparent and pretty straightforward. And I think that makes things a lot easier with the auditors, with the regulators, even though you know we operate in a way different from a lot of advisors that they're visiting. Yeah, there's some differences to explain, but I think they're easier to understand. And my experience through the several examinations I've been through in my state has been that they want to listen and understand. And when they do, it's easy to see you know, what's in compliance. So Ann Arbor is the home of the University of Michigan. And you mention on your website, serving the unique needs of employees of the university. Tell us something about what's different about serving an employee of the University of Michigan. Well, I guess, first of all, I've got a lot of ties to uh, to Ann Arbor. I grew up here. I've got a mechanical engineering degree from the university. I did some consulting work for the university, and then I was an employee there. So, I mean, I feel like there's a unique culture, and I think you can relate to employees of the university or retirees of the university when you've experienced that culture. You know, I think for a lot of people in these days where people kind of move from employer to employer, a lot of people at the university, regardless of whether they're in a staff position, you know, in the hospital or a professor, it's a final destination or a longer term destination. It's not kind of a stepping stone to somewhere else. I mean, that's not always the case, but it seems to often be the case. So I, th- I feel like just having the experience and familiarity uh, lets me more easily connect to what people who are working there are experiencing. But uh, I think with that said, I mean, there's a ton of diversity within the university. I mean, there's all different kinds of people and they have different life goals, different challenges, different opportunities, and they're there for different reasons. So in in some ways, there's some unique needs there. I mean, it's also helpful uh, for me to because I have several clients that work there, you know, I understand the benefits that they offer and have 
relationships with the multiple 403B providers that they have. But uh, yeah, the diversity of, of you know what I have with clients there is uh, makes it fun because it's not kind of a cookie cutter approach to, well, here's another person at the university. Um, it, it goes from research doctors to people who have huge charitable goals to business school professors. I've got several of those who there's a lot of income that's coming in outside of their university salary. So trying to plan for that. So so in some ways, I feel like there's unique things there and and having experience kind of connecting with the university in different ways helps me relate to people. But in some ways, it's kind of fun because I feel like it's a very diverse group of people and all have different challenges and different focuses that we have to work on. I'm hearing two different advantages there, and I can't help but relate that to my own specialty in working with Ohio public employees. Uh, you know, on the one hand, people will come to you and you'll ask, you know, where do you work? And they say University of Michigan, and you immediately know that you understand their employee benefits and that with this particular program, here's this particular corner of it that's often helpful to people in this situation. But from the client's point of view, they're probably thinking not so much, this is someone who understands the financial environment that I'm in. They're probably more comforted by the fact that you know more about what their life is like having your own connection to the university. Just relating to you on a personal level makes them feel more comfortable when you get into this process where they're going to have to be so transparent about their finances in order for you to be able to help them. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that Ken is is that you know when we have things in common and we can relate to each other's experience it's easier and quicker to build a trusting relationship. So they more likely to quickly go, yeah, you understand what I'm going through, you understand how this works. So that just makes it easier to build a strong relationship and begin to add value. So, Irfan, you earned your CFP designation after you bought Arbor Financial. Why was that designation so important to you? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely was important to me. Ann Arbor is one of the most educated cities in the country. It's usually, depending on the ranking, one, two, or three. So there's a lot of advanced degrees floating around. And I've always thought that the CFP designation was the most important credential to have in this industry. And as soon as I joined Arbor Financial, I started working on that. And then things got kind of busy and crazy with just all the contract stuff, finalizing the negotiation, figuring out how to plan the transition, setting up my own RIA, all those things. The studies just got put on the back shelf. And then when I actually took over, you know, the first year was just trying to stay afloat. It was just trying to survive meeting to meeting. You know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to to try to make a great first impression. Even though I had met most of the clients, it was just could not find any extra time. And it wasn't till a little bit further down the road, I hired a business coach and she really laid the hammer down, put my feet to the fire and I got it done really fast. And it was such a relief. And I'm glad I did that. And in retrospect, I probably had a lot more time, you know, the first few months of working at Arbor Financial, and I probably should have done a better job there. 
Well, you never know how much free time you have until even more of it gets taken away from you. So I think you're in good company there. So buying your practice from Savas, who was an ACP member, you could say that you know ACP's values were already in the firm's DNA from the time you walked in the door. So why is it important for you to stay an ACP member? I just want to make a quick comment about the firm's DNA because Savas Ginocopoulos bought the Ann Arbor branch from Burt Whitehead, you know, who is the founder of what we call ACP today. So there's definitely some very serious ACP DNA, you know, here with Arbor Financial. And it's rooted there in the philosophy and the way that the business has always been run. And for me, I think the reason that I'm still with ACP, it's the people and the friendships and the relationships. So I joined and I felt like I didn't have a lot to offer to the members, but people were willing to uh, help me from the very get-go. And it was a very unselfish and really caring atmosphere. And I was drawn to that and I made many good friends and, and still am. And I feel like there was a lot of deep experience and a lot of deep practical knowledge. So not just like book smart things like, you know, here's a technical answer, but here's one way to approach it with your client or here's how you can, you know, change the way that you practice your business. So that continues to be of value to me. And, you know, I honestly, I was really surprised. I was heavily involved in a lot of organizations when I worked in higher ed and, and there was just great camaraderie and a lot of people helping each other. And I definitely had some negative preconceived notions of the financial planning industry. And this was a huge surprise for me to find the ACP community and just real high quality people that seem to do the right thing and seem to want to genuinely help each other just because it's the right and nice thing to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm on record as saying that uh, ACP members are the people that I admire most in the world. I would trust my reputation to uh, my fellow ACP members' values. And that's the kind of organization that I want to belong to. I also find that coming from so many different backgrounds, as we do in ACP, there's something that we have to offer the rest of the organization probably sooner than we think. And a lot of support, as you say, for the real world of, so here's what the book learning taught me about this. What do I do for this client? There are a lot of good real world answers there. So Irfan, tell us what's next for you professionally and for Arbor Financial? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's something that I think about a lot and work on a lot, especially as I've tried to incorporate more and more life planning into my practice to really try to understand, you know, what people want to do with their lives, with their careers. And for me, I think I've reached a point where I'm really happy with the practice that we have and the size of it. So I, I'm really not thinking of expanding or growing a lot. I'm just trying to make things more efficient. And I'm trying to also do a good job of capturing some more free time to spend with my family and on exercise and other things outside of work. So trying to find a little bit more balance while still trying to make the practice better and better and serve my clients better. So that's that's where I'm headed right now. And uh, I'm one of those people that uh, reevaluates things very often. So the next time we talk, I might have a different idea, Ken.
<laughs> well, one thing we know for sure, it certainly is uh, easier to uh, enjoy the journey with the colleagues that we have supporting us along the way. So thanks so much for being on our podcast today, Irfan. What a pleasure to talk with you. Ken, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to Irfan Babrawala, CFP, owner of Arbor Financial, a fiduciary fee-only planning firm with offices in Ann Arbor, Michigan. There's a link to Irfan's website in our show notes. This is podcast number 16 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. In 2020, ACP is celebrating 25 years of training advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower-cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.